So there's a, there's a saying that I, I think probably most of you are very familiar with, um, and it goes like this. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. You've got to have the two tries in there, right? And of course, the idea behind this saying is to, is to be persistent, right? Don't give up too quickly or too easily. Well, this saying is attributed to an American educator in the 1700s, so I doubt they had a, a Hebrew equivalent, uh, at least not that closely, uh, at the time of Jesus. But had they had that saying at the time of Jesus, you can be sure that that would have been the mantra of the Pharisees when it came to dealing with Jesus and his ministry. The Pharisees, they were absolutely relentless in their pursuit to silence Jesus and to put an end to this, this new movement that was beginning to spread throughout Galilee and through the rest of Israel. Now, for those of you who may not have been here when we first encountered the Pharisees in our series, let me just briefly recap a little bit about who they were. The Pharisees were one of four major religious groups that had developed during the 400-year period between the Old and the New Testament. And the Pharisees, they, they, they were a particularly religious group. You, you could say that the Pharisees were extremely religious. Both, both they and the people in the community viewed them as the spiritual elite, right? They walked around, they had their, we've talked, we've joked about it, they had their phylacteries on their head and their, you know, everything about them screamed, I am holy, right? That's the way they carried themselves. These guys had devoted their lives to studying and to following God's laws as meticulously as possible. That's a good thing, right? That's not a bad thing to do. But they didn't just follow God's written law. They also followed the, the oral law, the oral and the, and the written traditions of the rabbis. And what happened is over time, the rabbis and the Pharisees, they developed a, a whole series of, of complex man-made rules on how you were to obey God's law. God's law says this, how do we do that? Let's write that down. And then later, rabbis and teachers would come on and they would say, well, how do we do what rabbi so-and-so said? Well, this is what you do. And then later rabbis would come along and say, well, how do we do that? And they say, this is what you do. They write it all down. And now you've got this long, long list of how to follow God's simple, simple commands. But they were man-made rules, man-made interpretations. I mean, you know that, that when we give our opinions, that's not on the same level as this, right? This is the word of God. We can try to see if we can understand it. I think he might mean this. I think it might mean that. But at the end of the day, the only thing that is 100% true is what is written right here in this book. Amen? But that's not how they saw it. They believed and they treated the oral traditions and the oral law as the same weight as God's word. They were on equal footing. So in their minds, if you were to break one of their rules, 
You are, you are breaking God's rules. This is God's commandments. You are breaking God's commandments. It would be like breaking one of the 10 commandments if you broke one of their, their rules. Now, a second problem with the Pharisees was that they were so concerned with their outward appearance and their outward performance, you know, making sure that they, they looked godly, making sure that everybody knew how holy they were, that they neglected the condition of their hearts. They neglected things that God really cares about. They're like, well, we gotta make sure we do this, this, and this, but so what if we're not merciful? So what if we're not gracious? So what if we're not loving? They neglected things that God really cares about, like grace, mercy, compassion. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus blasted them. He blasted them. He said this. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also are outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They didn't fool Jesus, did they? But that's not how they viewed themselves, is it? As we've already seen over the past several weeks, the Pharisees believed that they were better than everyone else and they made sure that everyone else knew it. But then along comes Jesus. Jesus enters the scene and, and he's this amazingly gifted teacher. He's, he's casting out demons. He's performing miracles. He's healing the sick. He, he, he cleansed a man of leprosy, right? He, he healed a man that, that couldn't walk and raised him up so he could walk. He's forgiving sins and he's gathering disciples. He's gathering followers and he's making claims to be the long-awaited Messiah, someone that the Pharisees would have been waiting for. They were looking for the Messiah to come. But for the Pharisees, there was a problem. There, there's a big, big problem that the Pharisees have. And that is that this, Jesus isn't joining their ranks. They were looking for the Messiah to come. And I believe that they believed that the Messiah would be the greatest Pharisee who ever lived. When the Messiah comes, you can be sure that we will have the Pharisee of all Pharisees. They believe that. They probably believed that when he was, you know, selecting his disciples, that they would have been the top draft picks, right? These are the top draft picks in the coming discipleship draft. But isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't pick a single Pharisee from his original 12 disciples? There is Paul later, right, who joins. But when Jesus is calling his original disciples, there's no Pharisees in the mix. Who is Jesus calling instead? Yeah, tax collectors, the most hated people in the entire uh, country, right? Tax collectors and, and, and fishermen, people that were considered uneducated, untrained. The seminary graduates, like the Pharisees, no thanks. And on top of all that, Jesus is completely ignoring their, main, their man-made rules and traditions. Not only is he not joining their ranks, he's actually opposing them. He's calling them out for their hypocrisy. He's challenging them and confronting their whole religious system. 
Last time we were together, you may remember that Jesus was, he was talking about, remember he was talking about old and new wineskins and old and new wine, and we talked all about that. Jesus told the Pharisees that he was here to establish a brand new system, a brand new system. He said, I'm not here. I'm not here to fix your dried up, broken, and worn out religion. That's what he says to the Pharisees. I'm here to establish something brand new. Well, as you can imagine, the Pharisees don't exactly love that message, do they? Jesus became a huge threat to everything that they held dear. And as the popularity of Jesus continued to grow and, and the crowds began to follow Jesus more and more and they were, they were listening to his teaching, the opposition from these religious leaders continued to grow as well. And with each confrontation, the conflict you know, escalated and, and it grew and it eventually it's going to lead to Jesus being arrested, right? And he's going to end up being crucified. Well, this morning, for the fourth consecutive week, all right, we're just like, here we go again. For the fourth consecutive week in our Luke series, we're going to see uh, this rising tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. I think it's worth just pointing out that, you know, Jesus was incredibly compassionate. He was incredibly gracious and merciful. But the one one group of people that he was consistently hard on were those who claimed to speak for him, but were making approaching God incredibly burdensome for everyone. That's who Jesus came down the hardest on, the religious people. So this morning, we're gonna be looking at another conflict. Actually, we're gonna be looking at two separate conflicts that are both going to be centered around something that was very near and very dear to the heart of the Jewish people, and that is the Sabbath, the Sabbath. This, this was an identifier of what it meant to be Jewish. If you were Jewish, you observed and you practiced the Sabbath. It was a, it's, he, Jesus is going to strike to the very heart of everything that it meant to these Pharisees about being God's chosen people. And in both of these stories, the, 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 the Pharisees, they are going to be angered about what they see as a blatant and deliberate disregard for the Sabbath. They believe that Jesus and his disciples are willfully breaking the fourth commandment, which is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, and we're going to begin... Uh, reading in, in verse one. Hopefully we're gonna get through the 11 verses today. Luke chapter six, verse one says, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, the, the first thing that I want you to notice in this story is where Jesus and the disciples are located when this, conflicts, uh, this conflict happens. Where are they? Luke says that they are walking through the grain fields. That's where they are. So you got to, in your mind right now, you got to picture a grain field and you picture Jesus and the disciples walking 
through the grain fields. And as they're making their way through the grain fields, the Pharisees begin to question them. Why are you doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Here's a better question. Why are the Pharisees in the grain fields? <laughs> right? What, what are they doing there? I mean, you might expect for Jesus to have a confrontation in the synagogue. That's where they would have hung out. You might have expected him to run into them in the city, in the marketplace, somewhere in the village, right? But they're out walking through a grain field, right? And so, I don't know, there's like, in my mind, there's like one of two possibilities here. Either one, they're like hiding down in the grain, waiting to see Jesus come by, which I don't think is the, is the more likely of the scenario, although that is the more funny scenario, right? If you picture them hiding in the, in the grain and then they pop up like, ah! got you, right? That, that's one possibility. No, I think the more likely answer to that is that this just goes to show how, how dedicated and devoted they were to, to trying to find something wrong. With Jesus. They are literally following him wherever he goes. Jesus goes to the market. They follow him to the market. Jesus goes into the grain field. They follow him to the grain field. They are walking around everywhere Jesus goes, trying to figure out how to discredit Jesus in his ministry. They're looking to catch him doing anything wrong. And when the Pharisees see the disciples picking, rubbing some grain in their hands, separating the chaff, and then popping the grain in their mouth, they cry out, aha, we've got you this time, Jesus. We've got you this time. Your disciples are violating the law. What law? What was their violation? I want to be clear about this. The Pharisees, they were not upset with what the disciples were doing. It wasn't what they were doing. They were upset with when they were doing it. In fact, the, the, the fact that the disciples of Jesus were picking and eating grain out of somebody else's field, that was not a problem at all. That was not a problem. In our world, that would be a problem right? You just walk through someone's apple. I was like, wouldn't that be great? Just walk through anybody's apple orchard, just pick all the apples you want, right? But in their day, that was not a problem. In fact, it was a completely legal and legitimate thing to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, listen to this. This is God, God's provision. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 23, we read, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Isn't that great? Isn't that, isn't that great? God provided his people with a, with a free, all-you-can-eat buffet of grapes and grain. You know, I'm hungry. I'm just gonna go out to the field and pick some grain and eat it. I'm hungry. I'm just going to go over to my buddy's vineyard and eat some grain. The, the only rule was you couldn't use like farming equipment. You couldn't bring a sickle and you couldn't fill your bags to take it home. Why? Because that would be storing up for later or storing it up to sell it, right? So now you're stealing if you do that. But if you're hungry, go eat. Get some grain. Get some grapes. God made a provision for those who are poor. He made a provision for those who are hungry because that's the heart of God. God has a heart of, of grace, of mercy, of compassion. 
and he made a provision which required those who, who had much, those who had fields of grain and those who had vineyards to be gracious and merciful to their countrymen, to provide for them. And so the Pharisees, they're, they're not upset. They're not upset that the disciples are picking heads of grain and eating them. What they're upset about is when they are doing it. Why are you doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? This is a day when God's people were commanded to refrain from working, from working. The Pharisees are accusing Jesus' disciples of working on the Sabbath and thereby breaking the fourth commandment. Now, just honestly, before we, we're gonna dig into this a little bit, but let me just ask you, does that sound like work to you? What they were doing? Walking with Jesus. Man, my stomach, I'm hungry. That is hard work. I wish I worked that hard, um, right? They're working. Silly, right? Let's take a look at what the actual fourth commandment says. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. God set apart one day in the week, one day in the week from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday where he commanded his people to stop working. Stop working. Our English word, Sabbath, comes from the Hebrew word, Shabbat. And it means to cease, to end, or to rest. The Sabbath day was meant to be a time where God's people would refrain from their work in order to rest in God and to focus on Him. It was a time to reflect on on God's goodness and His creation, a time to, to, to remember that He Himself rested on the seventh day. The Sabbath was instituted after God brought Moses, excuse me, after God brought um, the Israelites and Moses out of Egypt. He gave them the Ten Commandments and he instituted Sabbath rest. It was a way to remember how God had rescued his people and how he was the one who provides for them. For, For one day, stop striving, stop working, and remember that I am the one who provides for you. What a gift! right? What an amazing gift that God gave to his people when he gave them Sabbath rest. Okay, so what do you think? So what do you think? Those are the commands. That's the command written in Exodus chapter 20. Don't work. God said, stop working. Did they break the Sabbath according to God's command in Exodus chapter 20? What do you think? No, of course not, right? In fact, you could argue, you could argue that they could not have chosen a better way to spend the Sabbath. What were they doing? They were walking with the Lord, talking with the Lord, spending time fellowshipping, enjoying a, I guess it's a meal, uh, a head of grain, a kernel of grain, not much of a feast, but they were spending time with Jesus, enjoying his presence, 
That's what God wants for his people on Sabbath rest. And by the way, just in case I fail to say it later in this text, Jesus, according to the scriptures, is our Sabbath rest. And we are able to enjoy rest in him, not one day a week, every day of the week. It's a gift from God. So why are the Pharisees so certain that they have caught Jesus and his disciples in a clear violation of the law? Well, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, that the Pharisees held the oral law on the same level as God's written law. God's written law says don't work, but their oral law defined what work looks like, right? The oral law went through and with painstaking detail described anything and everything that could be considered work. And, and, and oh man, I, I wish I had time to, to, to read. You can look these up. You can look up uh, the Mishnah. You can read it for yourself. I mean, th- and these are still practiced today, by the way, amongst Orthodox Jews. But like there, there's rules about like you can make one loop, but you can't make two. Um, you can walk this many feet, but you, if you take a step over that, then you've broken the law. And so they would find all kinds of weird loopholes to get around with it. You, I think it was 3,000 feet. You could walk 3,000 feet on the Sabbath, but if you wanted to walk further than 3,000 feet, because you could only go 3,000 feet from your residence, what they would do is they would set up a temporary residence about 2,950 feet away from the limit. And now that's my new temporary residence. So I walk 3,000 feet, ho, I get 3,000 more, right? And so, but they made all these rules. They made all these rules um, to, to define what is considered and what is not considered work. And, and, and as I mentioned before, you can, you can read these in what's called the Mishnah. And what, what, by the time, you know, by the second century AD, you've got, it's 24 chapters, 24 chapters um, to discuss 39 types of work that you are not allowed to do on the Sabbath. 24 chapters dedicated to 39 types of work. And then each of those are subdivided in hundreds of ways to define what, what exactly is warping and what is considered plowing and what is considered knotting or untying or carrying or burning, right? And so there's all these rules, 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 rules in order to make sure that we don't break the one rule, which is don't work on the Sabbath. Wow. Talk about taking something that was meant to be a gift and just making it like, ugh, right? That's what Happen. And so here's the deal. When, when Jesus' disciples, when they, when they picked a head of grain, rubbed it in their hands, right? Remo- you know, separating the, the, the chaff from the kernel, right? And then, and then maybe blowing away the, the, the chaff, right? And then popping it in their hands. According to the oral law, they had broken four commandments. Four commandments. And so the first like, aha! Well, man, you, you, you guys, not just one, you broke four you guys are so busted, so busted. By picking the head of the grain, they were guilty of reaping. You're reaping. You picked a kernel of grain. By rubbing the grain in your hands to separate the kernel from the chaff, you were guilty of threshing. You're threshing. By blowing away the discarded chaff, you were guilty of winnowing. You're winnowing. And by eating the kernel of grain, you have proven 
that those three previous tasks were all part of meal preparation on the Sabbath. You don't prepare a meal on the Sabbath. Meals have to be prepared beforehand, right? Four commandments they broke as they walked with their Lord through the field. By the time of Jesus, God's simple command not to work on the Sabbath had become a long and cumbersome list of man-made rules and regulations. It's no wonder that in Mark chapter seven, Jesus said that the Pharisees were teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And and I, I just gotta say it. Don't think for a second that we don't do the same types of things. And we don't have a long list maybe written out, but in our hearts, we know that you don't wear certain types of of ripped clothes to church, right? I'm not saying here. I'm just saying in general, in churches, right? And maybe you are sitting here saying, like, yeah, that's right. You got a hole in your knee, you shouldn't be in church, right? Because it says so, right? No, it doesn't, does it? Right? But we make these rules, and, and over time, we come to believe them. And if, you, and if you see somebody violating one of your man-made rules, you automatically assume that you are somehow more spiritual and more in love with Jesus than they are. And that's what the Pharisees did. And that's what we don't want to do. Amen? I don't want any Pharisee in me. I want to kill legalism as it pops up in my heart. And it pops up in my heart. I have to fight that, right? And so do you. We have to watch it very, very carefully. That's what religion does. It's what legalism looks like. It's a a long, long list of rules and regulations to make sure that we are measuring up, right? But Jesus comes along and he invites us into a relationship, a relationship where we, we stop striving and we rest in him. We walk with him. We learn from him. We follow him. And you know what we find? We find rest for our souls. That's what Jesus invites us to. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. By the way, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story, okay? And I'm going to pull in different pieces of theirs into the story as we work our way through. But in Matthew... Matthew's gospel, he tells this story in Matthew chapter 12. The two verses preceding this story in Matthew's gospel are these. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Those are the words that Jesus spoke right before this this story that we're reading in in Matthew's gospel. What a gift. Jesus, what a yoke, a burden that had been placed on the people by the Pharisees. And Jesus says, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So the the, the disciples, rather, they, they had not violated any of God's commandments here. What they had ignored and violated were the traditions of the Pharisees. But with the Pharisees having made their accusation against Jesus' disciples and directly to Jesus, Jesus is now 
going to respond. You just you do not want to pick a fight with Jesus, especially when it comes to your understanding of God's word and, and the law. But in verse three, we read, and Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Jesus says, hold on a second. I think you might be forgetting a story about your beloved king, King David. Jesus says, have you not read? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. Who reads more than the Pharisees? Answer, nobody, right? Jesus knows they've read it, but, but what he's implying here is that although they had read it, they had failed to comprehend. They had failed to understand what it meant. Haven't you read that story, guys? How did you read that story and not know that it applies to this situation? And the story that Jesus reminds them of is a story about David when he was on the run, fleeing from King Saul who wanted to kill him. Because Saul wants David dead, right? And so David is on the run. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we're told that David and his men came to the tabernacle and they asked the priest who was serving there to give them bread to eat. They were on the run, right? They were hungry, but the priest said, I don't have any common bread to give you. All we have here is the showbread from inside the tabernacle. Now, here, here's what you need to know. Inside the tabernacle, and I got a, a picture on the screen for you, uh, in the holy place, now, which is not the most holy place, the most holy place was where the, only the high priest could go one day per year, right, on the Day of Atonement. But the holy place, the, inside the holy place, there was a table that had 12 loaves of bread stacked into two rows of six. And these, these loaves of bread represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And these, um, th th this bread was replaced on, on the Sabbath day each, each week. Every week on the Sabbath, the priest who was serving would go in with, with 12 fresh loaves, place them on the table, and then remove the other 12 loaves. And the priests were then allowed to eat the loaves as the representatives of God's chosen people. And they would know, eat the, the bread from the previous week. It was, like a, it was like a flat bread. So by the time the week had passed, it was probably more like a, more like a cracker almost, um, stale, I would assume. But anyway, they would eat that bread. So David says, hey, do you have any bread? And he says, well, all we, ha we have no common bread. All we have is the bread that's from inside the tabernacle. And they all know, David and his men and the priests know that who gets to eat that bread? The priests. Is David a priest? No, right? But, the priest gives David and then David's men, after he verified that they had, been, they had kept themselves ceremonially you know, clean, he says, sure, we'll give you the bread from inside the tabernacle. Wow, wow. Jesus says, guys, listen, King David, King David, the guy that you love and you adore, when he was hungry, what did he do? He did what was not lawful, for anyone but the priest to do. He goes in, he takes the bread from the showbread, the showbread from the presence, and he eats it, him and his men. David's not a priest. 
Jesus is making a really, really important point here. Something that the Pharisees had completely lost sight of. He wants them to understand and get this. Ceremonial rules and regulations, even rules over the showbread in the tabernacle, in the holy place, were never intended to override things like mercy and compassion. They were never intended to prevent us from meeting the legitimate needs of others. That's not why God had those rules in the first place, right? It's kind of like the, the, the story where Jesus, when someone says, hey, uh, well, I was gonna give this to the poor. I was gonna provide for my parents, but instead I've dedicated it to the Lord. And Jesus is like, that's foolish. Take care of the needy. Take care of the poor. You're like, well, I was gonna you know, provide a meal for my neighbor, uh, but you know, I'm gonna use that money instead to provide a meal for the potluck on Sunday. And so can't do it. You know? uh, my neighbor really needs me to stop by it's Sunday morning and I, and, and I see my neighbor out there struggling to, to mow their lawn and, and I, I was gonna stop, but I gotta be at church. And you know that if you don't show up on that one Sunday, then you obviously aren't a good Christian. The right thing to do is to drive by your neighbor in need and not help them. Now, is that an excuse to say, I'm gonna find a neighbor in need every Sunday so I can skip church? <laughs> no, obviously not. This is, this is, this, guys, this is heart issue stuff, right? And, and what Jesus is saying is you guys are so focused on all of your rules and your regulations. You know, you're so focused on checking all the boxes of what, you know, you can and you can't do, of what makes you look holy, that you have forgotten to be merciful. You've forgotten to be compassionate. Even the priest knew that the right thing to do in that moment was to provide food for those who were hungry. So he gave them food. And by the way, they were not rebuked for that. David wasn't rebuked for that. The priest wasn't rebuked for what he did, even though David and his men were not priests. In Matthew's account, Jesus referenced Hosea chapter six, verse six, which he's already referenced before. Jesus is, uh, a few weeks ago, you might remember when, when Jesus was criticized for eating and, and, and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, he quoted the same passage. But Jesus says here uh, in Matthew chapter 12, he says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If you had known what this means, he says, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus basically says, man, if, if you understood God's heart, his, his heart for the Sabbath, his heart for people, you never would have condemned my disciples. I mean, think about it for a second. If through an act of mercy, it was okay for David and his men to do what was not lawful according to God's word, right? If it was okay for them to do that, how much more appropriate as an act of mercy was it, was it appropriate for Jesus and his disciples to ignore the man-made traditions of the Pharisees when they were hungry for food? Well, in verse five, Jesus continues, and this time he is gonna drop the hammer on, on, on all of their Sabbath rules. Verse five, Jesus said, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, I, I, the son of man, which by the way, was a title for the Messiah, right? So Jesus said, I, the Messiah, I am Lord 
of the Sabbath. And if I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, what does that mean? I decide what is and isn't work. You don't get to decide what work is on the Sabbath. I decide what is and isn't work. The the Pharisees had completely hijacked this gift of rest that God had commanded for his people. And Jesus says, I am taking it back. The Sabbath is mine and I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark's gospel, Mark tells us that Jesus also told the Pharisees, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God had given the Sabbath as a gift for his people. And Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. They must have loved that. The Pharisees must have loved this. Of course not. Luke, but Luke doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us exactly how they responded to Jesus' bold claim here. Instead, he immediately provides us with another story, another example of the Pharisees clashing with Jesus over his disregard for their Sabbath rules. Another example of how Jesus is exercising his authority over the Sabbath. And by the way, in case you're watching your, 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 your watch, I promise I'm not gonna spend as much time developing this next one as we did on, on, the, on the first one. But it says in verse six, on another Sabbath, and this could have been the next Sabbath, it could have been you know, sometime later, but on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Doesn't that just break your heart? He just got done explaining to them, right, in the field. Did they listen? No. Here we go again. They're continually looking for a way to accuse Jesus. Only this time, instead of a conflict in a grain field, it's going to happen in the synagogue. Will Jesus break the rules of the Sabbath even while he is teaching in the synagogue? You know what's crazy? They hope he will. What? Think about this for a moment. The text says that the Pharisees were watching him and and then that original word is more than just like, oh yeah, I see Jesus is here. No, they are watching him. Like I'm watching Bob, right now. I got my eye. Oh, his is scarier. I'm not going to look. So they're watching him. They're carefully studying Jesus to see what he's going to do for this man with a withered hand. And they already know that Jesus has the ability to heal, right? They've seen him perform miracles, which should have been enough to convince them that maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe we should listen to him. No, the, the, the Pharisees know that he can do it. They've seen his The Pharisees are watching to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. Why? So that they can find a reason to accuse him. How messed up is that? Right? They really believe, okay, it's not like they just kind of pretend. No, they really believe that their rules are, 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 are on par with God's written word. 
So they really believe that if Jesus does this, then he is breaking God's commandments. They believe that. They believe if Jesus does that, then he is sinning, right? That's what they really, really, truly believe. And they want him to sin. They hate him so much, they want him to sin. How messed up is that for people who are claiming to be the most godly men around? Oh, I hope he sins. How messed up is that? You should never want anyone to sin. Why? Because it breaks the heart of God. But they were, yeah, that, that's a sin in and of itself, right? You know, the thing is, they don't care at all about this man with the withered hand. They don't care. All they care is that the authority and the power of Jesus be stripped from him, right? They want to take Jesus out. That's all they care about. Well, once again, just like in the previous story, we're faced with a question, okay? And the first story is like, did they break the Sabbath by doing what they were doing? Well, the same question here. Is healing someone on the Sabbath a violation of God's commandment not to work? And, and, the, and the question is even more funny when you think about how Jesus heals him. Because like Jesus can heal without even speaking a word. He could just look at the guy and in his mind say, be healed. You could just look at the guy and the hand would be restored, right? Jesus could have waited till later to, to deal with this. He could have dealt with it in private. The guy's had a withered hand for who knows how long. So he could have waited till the Sabbath was over, but he didn't. Jesus didn't go looking for a confrontation, but he wasn't going to run from it either, right? So did Jesus break the commandments? Well, the answer is, of course, No. It wasn't a violation of God's commandments to heal on the Sabbath, but it was a violation of their man-made rules. Because if you were healing someone, then you were acting like a physician, right? Because physicians heal people. They, they heal the sick and they, and they help them get better. And under their rules, physicians were not allowed to help the sick or to render any type of healing or first aid on the Sabbath unless it was an absolutely life-threatening situation. If it was absolutely life-threatening, then yes, you can render aid. Otherwise, you have to wait. Whatever the injury was, whatever it was, you broke, I don't know, break an arm, break a leg, just gonna wait 12 more hours, 12 more hours, and then we can get that baby set right in place where it needs to go, right? It's ridiculous, right? But the concern was that if you were to render aid and help, then you are now working. Well, we already know what Jesus thinks about their man-made rules. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he's not going to play their games, right? He's not playing their games. So in verse 8, we read, But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose, and he stood there. Now, I think it's worth pointing out that Jesus knew their thoughts, okay? They haven't even spoken a word. They're there. They're, they're in the synagogue. Jesus is teaching. And there's a man with a withered hand. He's, his hand's shriveled or, or something or par paralyzed. And he can't use it. It's right hand, okay? And also present are the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are there. And they're watching like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And they're just thinking it, right? Because we know he's too kind, he's too compassionate, he's too merciful. He won't be able to resist this. He's gonna have to heal the guy. We know it. And when he does, we've got him. So messed up, right? It's so messed up. 
But, so they haven't said anything, but Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, says, you know what? You guys are ridiculous. Mr. Man with a withered hand. <laughs> I'm sure he had a name. We don't know it. So Mr. Man with a withered hand, come on, come up here. Stand right in front of all the people. And the Pharisees are like, yes, I knew it. I knew he couldn't resist. He calls them up front. And then he looks at the Pharisees and he asks them a very pointed question. Verse nine, Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Other translations say to do evil. Is it, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? Jesus is trying to get them to the heart of the Sabbath. He wants them to understand what is God's heart for this, this day that you have completely hijacked. And Mark's gospel tells us that the Pharisees were, get this, silent. <laughs> they thought they had him. He turns, he asks this, this question, giving them, here's your choice, guys. What do you choose? And what are they gonna say? What are they gonna say to that question? Well, Jesus, the Sabbath is for doing evil. The Sabbath is for destroying life. I mean, Given the two options, what are they going to say? Thing is, they may not have been willing to say that, but that's exactly how they've been operating, isn't it? They've been withholding good on the Sabbath out of some uh, appeal to, to being religious and righteous, but they had missed God's heart. They had every rule memorized, but they lacked God's heart of love and compassion and mercy for others. In Matthew's account, we're told that Jesus then took it a step further. He said to them, he said, which one of you who has a sheep, okay, a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? And I picture Jesus in that moment, in this moment, turning and maybe even putting his hand on, on the man's shoulder, the man with the withered hand looking at him and saying, how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus answers his own question. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Th these people, I'm telling you, if, if a sheep fell in a pit, they'd pull it out. But if a man fell there, they'd be like, well, is it life-threatening? James chapter four, verse 17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and they fail to do it, for him it is sin. As Kent Hughes puts it, in God's view, a refusal to do good is to do evil. And you can be sure, you can be sure that Jesus is not going to do evil on this Sabbath Jesus is going to do what's right. He's going to do what's true. He's going to do what's good, loving, merciful, gracious, and compassionate. So in verse 10, we read, after looking around at them, at, at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, right? Stretched out his hand and his hand was restored. What a moment. 
What a moment for this man. Uh, some people believe, some, some commentators believe that maybe the Pharisees actually put him here as a setup, that maybe they invited him to the synagogue that day in order to set Jesus up. You can't prove that. May or may not have been the case. Maybe he was just there because he knew that Jesus could heal and he wanted to find Jesus. Don't know. Doesn't matter. It was a great day for this man. At the word of Jesus, this man's withered right hand was immediately restored fully. Wow. And this, honestly, if you were there, you'd be like, wow, this is amazing. What a cause for celebration. This is an exciting moment. By the way, did Jesus work? What did he do? He just, he just spoke words. It's not like he's like, oh, let me go get my scrubs on. And I got like, you know, like, well, first I got to twist this bone and pull this bone. We got to stretch. No, he just said, stretch out your hand. You're working, Jesus. What did I do? I, you spoke. Okay, he spoke. Everybody in that synagogue had reason to celebrate what just took place, right? This is amazing. Jesus, the Messiah, had just healed a man with a spoken word right in front of their eyes. Oh. But sadly, the Pharisees they loved their rules more than they loved this man. They loved their rules more than they loved the Sabbath and what God was doing. So instead, in verse 11, instead of celebrating, instead of saying, wow, he really is the Lord of the Sabbath. He really is the Messiah. It says here in verse 11, but they were, get this, filled with fury, and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Other, other translations say to bring him harm, what they might do to harm him. And the word for fury here literally means that they were filled with madness. They went crazy. They lost their minds. They could not think straight. And so rather than repent for their sinful ways, they dug their heels in and they began scheming with one another about how they could do away with Jesus. And we know that this is not the last encounter, is it? It's not the last encounter. He's going to have others. And as I said in the beginning, it's, a, it's, a, it's an escalating conflict that is eventually going to lead to Jesus being crucified. But can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing someone healed and becoming out of your mind berserk angry that that happened? It's, it's messed up, isn't it? It's messed up. Well, as we bring our time uh, to a close, the, the first thing, so because it's easy, and I, you've heard me say this every time we talk about the Pharisees, it's easy to look at the Pharisees and say, man, they are messed up, you know? But it's far more productive for us to say, where is the Pharisee in me? And to recognize that each and every one of us can be drawn to these type of legalistic teachings, right? We can get pulled into this if we're not careful. And so as we bring this time to a close, I guess I, I just wanna issue a challenge for each of us to ask God to examine our hearts and ask him to expose any and remove any type of legalism or Pharisaic attitudes that we might be holding on to. Ask him.
Let's ask God to help us to, to, to be better representatives of his truth. You don't think for a second that Jesus didn't care about truth. It's not Jesus cares about the Sabbath. He cared about it. But he cared about it being restored to what God intended it to be, not what they had made it. God cares very deeply about truth. But, but God, help us to be better representatives of your truth. Help us to be better representatives of your love, your grace, your mercy, and your compassion. So that's the first thing. I just want to challenge us to do that. The second thing, and finally, is this. There may be some of you who are here, and, and maybe, maybe you have never come you know, to Jesus to, and asked him to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have never experienced the Sabbath rest that he gives to his followers. I'm not striving to earn God's approval. I have God's unconditional love on my life and acceptance, not because I'm good enough, but because Jesus loved me enough to die in my place and I've received his gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of my sins. If you've never experienced that, then today, make today the day that you say, yes, Jesus, I wanna be your disciple. I wanna follow you and I wanna experience your, your grace, your mercy, your love, your compassion, your forgiveness for my sins. I wanna walk with you. I wanna learn from you. I wanna follow you for the rest of my life. Make today that day. And then for those of you who, you've already made that decision. You are a Christian. It is possible, it is possible to receive all of that and still find yourself striving and working and trying to somehow earn God's favor in your life. It is, it is possible that, that, you, that you are not experiencing the Sabbath rest of God. You're doing a whole lot more striving than you are abiding. And so if that's you, if that's you, I wanna invite you to, I'm just gonna close with the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 11. I wanna read those words to you again. I wanna invite you to come to Jesus and rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus wants you to experience that same Sabbath rest that the disciples had that day walking through the field. Jesus wants that for you, and you can have that every single day of your life from now through all eternity to be with Jesus, learning from him and growing closer to him, enjoying the freedom that we have in Christ. He wants that for you. Stop striving and start abiding. I'm gonna invite the worship team now to come up. And they're going to close us in a song. The words are not going to be on the screen. Um, it, was a, it was a substitute that I made on the way to church this morning. I asked Jen and, and them to, to do this song. The song is called, You Are My Sabbath Rest. 
And so maybe, maybe, uh, maybe a perfectly appropriate thing for you to do right now is, is if you're comfortable, just to close your eyes and let this song be your closing prayer. Inviting, inviting Jesus, or accepting his invitation rather, right, to come to him and experience Sabbath rest.